0: Hello, college football fans. Welcome to College Football Throat on episode 45. I am your co host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz.
1: Good uh, evening, uh, morning, I don't know. Hello, Oscar fans.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, you might not have heard from us for a while. Uh, we've been having some busy times in both of our lives uh, recently. Um, as to why we haven't been able to do a new podcast, but we're trying to get back into the groove now that the football season is finally here, doing weekly podcasts
1: after the Nebraska games and things like that. That's right. Well, and we've had uh, a couple of changes in in scenery here and changes in circumstance uh, that kind of got in the way there a little bit. Uh, We, uh, on our end, uh, Kim, my wife and I, have chosen to go full-time with the RV lifestyle, uh, in a semi-retirement mode. And as such, uh, our, our lives were a little chaotic there for the last few weeks, uh, uh, getting everything organized, selling everything we own except for a five by 10 storage unit and this RV. So, <laughs> uh, needless to say, uh, we were preoccupied with a few things, but the good news is that I am speaking to you live from Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, the epicenter of the universe. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, hoping that uh, going forward, uh, maybe my presence here will help the team get better.
0: <laughs> Just your, they need it. Your mere presence will <laughs> will accelerate them. Well, and there you go. Uh, a cool thing is that um, next weekend I am actually going to be in Lincoln uh, with you right. and Joining my younger right. sister, who's now going to school there in Nebraska. So. Um, hopefully we'll do like a live podcast maybe there
1: yes that's what i would like to do all right absolutely
0: so okay. uh nebraska is one and two how about that
1: yeah rough start to the season no doubt <laughs> disappointing a result i was hopeful there was at least a chance we might be three and oh at this point frankly uh i certainly expect this to be no worse than two and one uh, but we have struggled in all three games so far this season. So we're clearly not where, um, you know, we, uh, thought we were going to be, uh, and that obviously changes the perspective of for the, for the rest of the year as well. But yet I still see, uh, glimpses of optimism, you know, in terms of what we could become. Uh, I think it's more about coach coaching, utilization of talent and, uh, scheme, uh, and all that, uh, aside. Uh, we've got some young players who just need to mature. And I think a combination of the coaches figuring out what works and what doesn't uh, combined with, um, you know, the players getting more comfortable in the schemes will help everyone. But, uh, but that's, uh, that's, that's my glasses half full uh, side coming out.
0: Yeah. Well, and I thought it'd be fun to just go back um our listeners might remember episode 43 of College Football Throwdown, where we did a podcast in person between you, me, and your brother, my uncle, AJ, and we all gave predictions about the season that was in July, I believe. Um, and uh, at the time, uh, I was the most optimistic, of course, of the bunch, uh, predicting a 9-3 and season with a loss to Oregon, uh, but one where we would play in the championship game, um, and you actually uh, agreed with me saying a nine and three with a loss to Oregon, but you said that we would not make it to the championship game that Wisconsin or Penn State would, uh, I guess not Penn State, but Wisconsin would you know, beat us out for right. that, the title spot. Um, and then AJ had a five and seven uh, record. Mike Riley gets fired. Uh, so currently, I'd say he's winning the prediction race, but there's still a <laughs> lot of ball game That's left to true. be played.
1: That's true. Yeah. Now eight and four is is almost certainly the best case scenario we could expect, uh, even the most optimistic fan.
0: Yeah. Well, I was looking ahead at our schedule, um, thinking at this point, you know, seven and five seems like a you know, if things go relatively well, 7-5 and five seems uh, likely where we beat all the people that we uh, sh- expect to beat, you know, should be able to beat, you know, including that Iowa game at the end of the year and Northwestern and Rutgers and things like that. But then we lose to Wisconsin, Ohio State and Penn State, all of whom definitely look much better than us right now.
1: Right. But but frankly, so does Purdue and, uh, you know. Wisconsin, definitely, but Purdue looks way better than us, too. They they have dramatically improved. That's That shows you what a coach who knows what he's doing and can put the right type of personnel in the right positions can do right. with some decent talent.
0: All right. Well, they, they played close with Louisville in the first game of the year, right? Exactly.
1: And they crushed, and I mean crushed, the University of Missouri, who had a fairly – there was some optimism in Missouri about this talented quarterback because they – Kind of came on at the end of last year, and they were young. And they of course got new coach or relatively new coach there and stuff, uh, but but um, Purdue handed it to them.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, we're going to um, talk about the first two games of the year, the Arkansas State and Oregon yeah. game, before and, diving into the most recent Northern Illinois game.
1: Okay, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and open the proverbial beverage so that we can get that obligation taken care of and i can actually enjoy a beverage okay are we ready here we go
0: ah there it is tradition thank you yeah tradition so um the arkansas state game um we actually were able to watch that one uh together because i was in town that weekend and uh, we ended up winning 43 36 um kind of the if there is a theme to this year so far it's that we have uh, awful first halves and then better second halves, um, and th- that's kind of how it's been uh, so far.
1: Yes, yes, I, I would agree. Now, in f- in some regards, I think we have to look at our opponent and and look at in the case of uh, I think it's very accurate to say that that was true in the case of Arkansas State that we played we played a lot better in the second half uh, with you know with Arkansas State, but. I would also say that, you know, we in the Oregon game and this most recent game against Northern Illinois, um, we 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 didn't necessarily play better. It was more the other what the other team did, you know, in the case of Oregon, I think they got conservative and put themselves in a position for us to sneak back into it a little bit because they shut down what was working offensively and, and, and went conservative to just run the clock which is the right thing to do if you have some effectiveness with it, but they didn't. Right. And so that allowed us enough uh, offensive opportunities that we began to cl- crawl our way back into it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, and I do think that, I mean, it's probably a combination of what you said, but I think it's also clear that Diaco made some uh, halftime oh, adjustments yeah. that were working in our favor in the second half.
1: I would agree. I would agree. Um, but, uh, but again, um, I'm looking forward to uh, Bob Diaco, and, uh, well, both coordinators in this case. That would be my my summary, but we can get to that a little bit later. Uh, going back to the Arkansas State game, just get a quick summary from my opinion. That was a game that actually everybody would have been content with if we had simply put our foot on their throat when we had the opportunity. When when we had you know Trey Bryant in there running uh, the football and running some counter plays with some pulling guards and, 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 and things of that nature, and we were averaging you know, six yards a carry and that sort of thing. And then for whatever reason, we got into a mode where on two or three series in the second half when we had a comfortable lead but not a fully comfortable lead, meaning a 14-point lead, not a 21 or 28-point lead, we chose to fool around with passing the ball on second down when it would be second and five and third and two or third and three or third and four were throwing the football instead of pounding the rock when we had had or demonstrated some some ability to run the football. Uh-huh. And in my opinion, this is a, a fundamental flaw of our offensive coordinator. Not that I hate his scheme or don't like the plays that he's running or anything like that. Uh, I, at this point, I, I'm going to say I'm, I'm still neutral on that. I'm still evaluating, but there's a lot I like the problem I have with him that is just so fundamental is a high school offensive coordinator could call a better game to understand the goal of just winning, just win the damn game. Don't, don't be thinking about balance. Don't be thinking about what the stat sheet's going to look like. You, you, you do that. Okay. And then in addition, uh, the, the individual offensive coaches need to be managing their reps with their players. And we found ourselves in this game this past week against Northern Illinois where we were playing with an inferior running back, a guy who, who, who may be good someday, uh, but who clearly was struggling with first game, the burden of being the guy for the first game. He was not running hard. He was dancing around, trying to find holes instead of just getting whatever the play was going to give him. And uh, And I know there were all kinds of problems up front with the offensive line, which we can get into as well. I'm bouncing around a little bit here, but I'm trying to make a point about collective as I look at the landscape of the three games together, Alex. And that to me is the message I would want to convey is that uh, Nebraska will not be successful unless our offensive coordinator understands that you have to be able to establish the running game in college football and specifically at Nebraska. You're going to have to do that because uh, if you want to be successful when we come up against better teams, you're going to have to have that. And so you damn well better be getting the reps and getting the guys organized and the offensive line, the reps they need to understand how they're going to block and deal with blitzes and all those kinds of things for running plays. And when we need four yards or three yards on a third down, we need to be able to get that run in the football against Northern Illinois. It's plain and simple. And the fact that we, we didn't even hardly try to do that is a fundamental flaw of our offensive coordinator and their philosophy that is the thing that in my opinion I'm most anxious to see is does he begin to change his mentality and run the football more he is way over enamored with a young wide receiver core and and a a, um, a quarterback who he thought was a better decision maker and physically more capable of running the system than he is um, I, I have another observation about Tanner Lee, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you give your summary comments.
0: Yeah, um, I agree with you definitely about the Arkansas State game. I remember that point where we were up 14 and it looked like we were about to go up 21, but we couldn't make it happen. And, you know, I knew that that, that was our, our chance to like really ride that momentum and really uh, drive yep. a stake into the heart as it were. Um, but we weren't able to do that. And so ended up coming down to the last seconds of the game to see who was gonna win. No, which was definitely disappointing, Um, but we knew, you know, we had talked before about how this Arkansas State team wasn't a pushover, you know, they've won their conference for several years and have a talented uh, quarterback, you know, who might go pro and things like that, Um, and they were running a spread offense, which is uniquely kind of, uh, works seems to work well against this 3-4 that Diaco is running, Um, so we knew that was going to be a problem, and I would, we were obviously concerned about that coming up the next week with Oregon, who runs a better version of that spread offense. Um, and certainly in that first half, it looked uh, pretty bad on all fronts. Um, but I was happy to see in the second half uh, our team adjust, our coaches uh, bounce back, you know, as along with Oregon making some mistakes that we were able to capitalize on and um, things of that nature. Uh, and our defense, you know, I mean, being able to go, from 28 giving up 28 points to giving up zero points in the second half you know that's a pretty good shift um so i liked seeing that and then our offense was able to get some more things going get some drives and go up uh i think we got went up 14 real quick right the start of the second half um but then we struggled from there and even though our defense was three and outing them you know giving our offense so many chances it was frustrating to see, like you said, how, you know, Diaco would run it on first down, you know, get two yards. And then for like the rest of that drive, he would pass it, you know?
1: Right, right. And, 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 I, and, I, enter, and I understand that if you, if you run it and you only get two yards, that gets you off schedule. But sometimes you still have to acknowledge that, you know what, we're running with reasonable effectiveness. Maybe, maybe the play call that I gave, or maybe there was you know, some indicator that allowed them to read the play uh, you know, more effectively, and so they did. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so you need to go back to the running game sometimes. And, and again, I am I, a stronger believer that when you're trying to establish something and get and, and accumulate a stability of a game where you feel like you've got control of a game, it centers around your ability to run the football, no matter what look at look at um, Oregon Oregon was dominating us in the passing game, but they weren't really dominating us in the running game and they never really had control even though they had a huge lead, we almost came back and frankly if if uh, uh, our punt returner um, uh, uh, L, actually takes that punt and goes with it on the and at the end of the game there uh, when he called a fair catch and he knew it was a mistake as soon as he did it. But mm-hmm. had he not called a fair catch there, he catches that thing and goes. He gets uh, at least 10 yards, and with his great ability, maybe way more than that. And now we're already in a very threatening position, and we drive down and score, and boom, it's, it's, it's tie ball game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but instead, we don't. And um, uh, we, I think in that particular series, we end up three um, um, and out and putting and, and it back to them. Then we get the ball back. Uh, But then in our final drive, um, the quarterback throws a pick on the first play and and, and end of end of challenge. But I guess the point is, why was an Oregon team that had put 42 points on us uh, or 45, 45 points, Uh, yeah 42 points on in the first half? Why did why were they not in control of that game? And the answer is because they, they they weren't able to stop us necessarily offensively. Uh, so certainly their defense's inability to do that, it, it comes into fact here, but the reason also offensively had to do with the fact that they could not line up when we knew they were going to try to run the clock and, and milk the clock and run the football, they couldn't line up and knock us off the ball and, and, and get first down after first down. They couldn't do it. And as a result, they got into a mode of some three and out situations and they had some receivers drop balls and all that. So I'm not saying it was just a single thing. My point is, is fundamentally that Team Oregon has the same deficiency. They're going to struggle in games to control them even after they get a decent lead.
0: Yep. No, I agree with all that. But after that Oregon loss, you know, it sucked that we lost. But at the same time, we were both, I think you and I, you know, very aware that that was a probable loss for our team, you know. And we man- the fact that we managed to, you know, bring it back and keep it close. And their team didn't give up, you know, so there were some positive signs coming out of that game as well as negative the negative ones. Correct. Um, and then going into this Northern Illinois game, I, of course, uh, and as I'm sure some of our players did assumed that this was going to be, you know, a relatively, uh, simple victory. Uh, but when you, uh, throw uh, two picks, uh, and give them touchdowns pick
1: sixes, yeah. yeah.
0: Two pick sixes, uh, that, that becomes a lot, a lot trickier.
1: Especially right. well, and, with that first our,
0: one being a nice drive oh, where we're about to score and then they just right. totally read our pass and take it to the house.
1: Right. And, and, and again, um, uh, we never saw that rhythm offense again after that first offensive series um, that we drove. We, we marched it right down the field and we ran it. We, we, we ran it with some effectiveness. We, we, uh, we were blocking well. We, we passed it effectively. We were throwing some low... Uh, uh, some fairly short, uh, higher percentage passes, that that sort of thing. And we never we never went back to that scheme. We never went back to those kinds of plays uh, throughout the rest of the game. It seemed like, uh, for the most part, we would we would do one medium range, you know, over the middle pass to a tight end or a squaring route to one of our wide receivers, and then we would immediately be throwing the ball on a on a on a frickin' uh, fly pattern or a um, or a, you know, a, a post or something that was uh, really a difficult throw, where we had to drop it into the outside shoulder of the receiver for them to get it. The types of passes that are only going to work even when, you're, when your offense is working reasonably effectively, okay? unless you're the NFL quarter, uh, caliber quarterback, you're only going to get that play 15, maybe 20% of the time. So that means one out of five passes like that are going to actually succeed. And for whatever reason, our coaches seem to think that they're going to be able to make that thing work, you know, three out of five times. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all, the choice of plays and the sequence of, uh, sequencing of plays that those kids or that those coaches put together for our team. And, and and once you have a struggling quarterback who's thrown two pick sixes, what do you do to that quarterback? You either replace him because he's he's totally making horrible decisions or you allow him to get back some confidence and rhythm by taking the burden off his shoulders and letting him run the football and letting uh, the running game uh, take some of the burden off of him, right? But uh, our our offensive coordinator never did that. He never gave him a chance to do that. If he tried one running play, and oh, by the way, you don't always run it on first down. It's okay to throw it every now and then on first down, uh, and then you can run it on second and third. OK, or you can run it on second and then pass it on third. But his his demeanor was precisely the same almost every time he either threw it on first down, threw it on second and threw it on third, or he ran it on first down and passed it on second and third. That's what he did over and over and over and over again. He never mixed that up. It was it, it was so predictable. And there, there's two other things I want to say, because I know we're we want to make this podcast uh, a little more short. Uh, there's two more things. One, I am convinced after being present at the game, Alex, that their defense knew exactly the type of play, not the exact play, but the type of play that was going to happen before the snap. They were. There is a tell going on on our offense. There is a tell going on that they were able to know this is a pass play. And then, or they were able to know this is a running play. Or, and they were, when, when, we had the, when we had the motion receiver and, and did the fly sweeps, every time they swallowed that up, they knew when that was going to be a real handoff versus when it wasn't, when it was just a, a motion to create movement, you know, uh, they were able to ignore that because whatever they were able to see, they knew exactly, exactly what was what. Uh, because whenever we tried to give that ball to that fly sweep person, they got tackled immediately. I mean, in the backfield, like for negative yards, practically. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and then and then other times, some of those interceptions were made by uh, under uh, linebackers underneath coverage, who were already well into their hook zones and well into their their drops. Um, and they were and and um, um, what's his name Tanner was not able to read the zones that they were in at all, and how they could be so aggressive, and, and we weren't able to run it between the tackles uh, very effectively because they were bringing the house. I mean, they had people uh, attacking the line of scrimmage on almost every gap. Now, you, you can't be doing both that and have good coverage uh, in behind. Usually you have to give up one or the other. But they were able to do both, and I'm convinced the reason is because they were able to anticipate this is a run, this is a pass. They knew it before the snap of the ball. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's huge. And then my second thing is Tanner Lee – is a is a kid who um, uh, has some physical and mental um, um, uh, limitations Uh, what I've observed in the three games is he diminishes as the game goes on he gets tired for lack of a better term and the zip and and the strength of his passing deteriorates greatly from first quarter to fourth quarter That's an observation I have. Uh, In the interception in the Northern Illinois game, for example, just this past yesterday, uh, uh, that last interception probably would have landed at the feet of our receiver that he was supposedly throwing to if the guy hadn't intercepted underneath, uh, coverage guy hadn't intercepted it. I mean, that that ball wasn't going to get to its intended target at all. It was way underthrown because he gets tired. I I just don't, his ball does not have the zip on it, late in games that it does early in games. So I don't know if he's got a fatigue issue, we're trying to throw him throw him hard or he's just mentally exhausted because he was getting his ass kicked that whole game. And that that has to do with our offensive line, you know. I mean, there were way too many times when our our offensive linemen just totally whiffed on these guys. And this is Northern Illinois we're talking about. This isn't Wisconsin or Ohio State. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So there's just so many things that are uh, everything was going wrong yesterday. It was it was a disaster in every respect.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and I, I, we should say, um, my my basic observation coming out of the game was that it was disaster in pretty much most ways on offense, like you said. Um, defense, on the other hand, you know, I'm upset obviously that they let that huge pass. Uh, oh yeah. Go go through in the fourth quarter, you know, which let them end up was the game winning uh drive for them yeah but at the same time you look at it the defense only let up seven points the whole game it was Uh, that you know the rest was all off the offense um you're right and there was the missed field goal then they had and we had our own block field goal um so we kind of went even in that regard um but i i definitely agree with you that uh it, it was frustrating because there were times where I was disagreeing with like the passes that you know Langsworth was calling, but it was there. Was times where it was clear that the receiver was open, or the receiver had the yep. ball in his hands, and they just dropped it, or absolutely. the receiver was open, but Tanner just overthrew him a little, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there were several different things. Um,
1: where... But but here here's the thing: those are all timing things, and, and what that suggests to me is, I'm convinced, Alex, absolutely, positively convinced that there's no way all those slight misses, the dropped passes, the overthrows, you can't tell me he's not seeing that in practice. I guarantee you those same things are happening in practice. That means you're not there yet. So you don't call those plays. You're not getting the, you know, the repetitions. The, you need to have a, a premier level of success in practice before you start bringing that into the game. In the meantime, against Northern Illinois, you secure the game with a running game. You pound that ball. You get first downs. You get a lead. You get a comfortable lead, and then you start working on those pass plays. You're clearly not ready for that. Those tight ends, we had tight ends drop balls. We had, we had Morgan drop balls. Everyone, all, all of those receivers were dropping balls. Mm-hmm. They're not ready. So Now, that doesn't mean you don't ever throw it. It means your passing game isn't nearly as good as you think, Langsdorf. Figure that out and start relying on the running game when you had a chance to, to win some damn games early. And then you would have had a whole other week of practice in which to keep working on that passing game. And eventually that passing game would come around, and those guys would start catching the balls. And you could start dangling the carrot to say, guys, I'll start throwing it more when you, got, when you start catching it. Okay? That's how that works. Right. Um, but, but, but we never did that. And, and that comes back to he had the wrong guy in at running back. Uh, Zigbo comes in on the very first play. He carries three guys for eight yards, and and the, the crowd goes nuts. And it's like, finally, we got somebody who, who understands that in this game, at this moment in time, getting the ball and dancing around and looking for the hole when we're not dominating up front is a bad idea. Getting whatever that hole is going to give you and carrying it and, and efforting for every damn yard, that's what you need to do. Sorry, I'm fired up.
0: <laughs> no, I like it. This is classic... Uh... Dad, college football talk right here.
1: Um, yeah, well, God it frustrates me.
0: <laughs> Frustrating. yeah. I, I'm
1: serious. I, I I I tell you what. I I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop short of saying I could do it, but what I will say is an average offensive coordinator with uh, uh, for high school, not college, high school, could take the Nebraska playbook, the Nebraska players, uh, sit down with Langsdorf for uh, you know a, a few days to understand schematically what he's trying to do and then let that offensive coordinator who understands how to win a football game with young kids, not professionals, young kids. And they would call a better game than, than, than Danny Langsdorf. I I, I like his offense. I understand. And he probably coaches well. It sounds like he does with the quarterbacks and stuff. And I, I, I won't doubt any of that, but his play calling sucks. And he needs to, he needs to get a clue. And Riley needs to tell him, this is what you're going to do. If if Riley doesn't have that come-to-Jesus meeting with him this week, Riley and him risk losing their jobs and blowing this whole thing up, which I do not want to have happen. I do not want that to happen because that means we're putting the re- pushing the reset button and and all the good things that Riley's got uh, established will go to shit. So we need Riley to have the heart-to-heart with his, his offense coordinator and say, that offensive game plan, that kind of play calling, not going to work. Can't do that. And offensive line-wise, that's the guy that's on the hot seat, too. Yeah. Our offensive line coach. Right. He, his offensive line played like shit, and that is unacceptable. I know they're young, but they're talented. They're not without talent, those young linemen, and they should not have looked like that against Northern Illinois. Period. Yeah. So...
0: Well yeah and that that's another point when we were talking in the preseason um I had voiced my reservations about the offensive line knowing that that was a problem last year and predicting that it would be this year um and it, maybe I'm just not looking hard enough but it seemed like they were playing uh better you know in the first two weeks you know I, I didn't see nearly this this many blown coverages and stuff and I know our our center the guy that you like he went out injured Right at the start of the the, the Northern Illinois game, yep. or it was the second quarter, I think. But yeah, second quarter. yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it, it, exactly. And those guys have got to get their stuff together. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's not just about being confused. I mean, and and again, it gets back to some of my sense while watching the game live. And I wish you know you don't have the ability to rewind and do that sort of stuff. But as I'm watching it they it was like god they got 14 guys on the field because when it was a pass play they were they all knew they knew what was going on there it was in the back blah 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 we're good to go then uh we try to run it because they're obviously covering the pass well and they're they're in every gap i mean our guys are getting overwhelmed and you know tanner lee has no time to throw the football now you you just can't do both of that unless you're the damn luckiest defensive coordinator in the world where you are seeing something you know something and so our coaches better recognize that. They better understand that whether the, whether the opponents were kind enough to share that it was a problem or not, I guarantee you there is a tell. So they better do some uh, competitive assessment. And, uh, and if they're not, re-looking at their own offensive play calling and their own players. An example, Alex, I would say to you is you know, Tanner Lee may do something as simple as adjusting his shirt to make sure that his shirt isn't caught in his shoulder pad Right. On every play before he throws a football and he doesn't adjust his shirt if he's not throwing it hmm okay it could be something that simple right and 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 if those guys see that on film and can pick up on it then guess what now that team knows coming into every play and they're pretty damn sure this is a run or this is a pass they know that they don't know what kind of pass or run now they can look at formations and say okay we've seen this before we saw this on film this is probably one of those jet sweeps And so they're already anticipating it. And sure enough, there it is. Boom. They're right on it.
0: You understand? Yeah. Well, and the last thing I want to say about the Northern Illinois game is just that I I guess this is a a situation or example of why you don't buy into the hype, so to speak. Um, Mm Because with Tanner Lee, you know, we were hearing all about, you know, how good he was doing in practice and how great of a thrower he is. And, you know, we saw some of that in the spring game, you know, which is obviously against the very vanilla defense and that sort of thing. but. Clearly, he's got, you know, like the the physical arm to do it, you know, but in game time, you know, when the chips are down, you know, and the pressure's on and that sort of thing and you're getting hit, you know, and you need to get back up. Um, so far, he's not shown me much fortitude. And to me, the thing that's most glaring is uh, he doesn't seem to have much uh, pocket awareness at all. Um, no. I, there were a couple of times where he was just standing there right in the center and wasn't even looking around to see what guys were near him and i know that he's not a running quarterback like tommy armstrong whereas tommy armstrong was the type two who would almost prefer to roll out and throw it on the run you know as he's uh trying to avoid a a sack and that sort of thing um and so i'm not expecting him to be like that all the time but he needs to be more aware for sure
1: right Uh, i would agree totally agree And uh, so let's, I know, I know we are running longer than you intended because I went on a rant. So um, let's talk a little bit about next week. Next week, here's the good news. If I, if I'm going to put my half, half full uh, glass on the table again, although the beer is already empty, just so you know, (laughs) Um, the, uh, uh, the half full glass says, okay, reset time. You know what? Those three were, were non-conference games. We weren't going to win the national championship anyway. Uh, We've hurt ourselves from a bowl position standpoint. It is what it is. But everything is still in front of us to achieve what we want to achieve, which is to win the Big Ten West and put ourselves in a position to at least be in the championship game. We'll deal with that when we get there. I'll talk about whether that's winnable or not when we get there. But let's get there. And we can still do that. Mm -hmm. It's still in front of us to do that. And it starts this week with Rutgers. yeah and and it starts this week with coach with the coaching staff having a meeting today today in which they sit down and say, "Okay, guys, throw out all the planning we did. We're revamping everything. We got to revisit everything and what's working and what's not, and what are we're going to have to try to do. And, and it's not about it's not about all wholesale personnel changes or anything like that with the players. I really don't think this is a lot about the players other than that some youth is exposing here. And that is what it is, and it, it will mature. I'm more worried about schematically is, uh, is our offensive coordinator willing to make the changes that he needs to make, and is our defensive coordinator willing to, to come up with a more aggressive scheme to accept that he needs to have more nickel-and-dime packages, uh, even if it means putting some young guys on the field that, quote, quote, aren't ready. He has to do that, and he has to do it now. Starting this week, we've got to do this now. It's either that or, or, or the whole season may go into the tank super fast, in which case they need to be worried about their future. Because uh, I guarantee you that um, uh, although Eichhorst is very much committed to, to, uh, to the coaching staff, and, and, I, and I like I said, I like so much about Coach Riley and what he's doing, but he needs to, he needs to be a head coach now. This week it's about him. What's he going to talk to Danny Langsdorf about? What's he going to talk with Coach Kavanaugh about? What's he going to talk to his offensive, uh, his running backs coach, Davis about? Those are the guys that need to talk it to. And then Diaco needs to be told, "Hey, you've made some improvement here, but here's the reality: I need you to be more aggressive. We can't sit back there and play patty cake and let people just run wild in front of us. That's unacceptable." Uh I understand that you want to be conservative, but guess what? Your, 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 your reactionary defensive scheme is not eliminating the big plays. Big plays are still happening. So, you know, you're not achieving your objective, figure it out. Right.
0: And I I totally agree with what you said earlier. And I thought about that as well, that, you know, although it's things that we're down two already, uh, both are non-conference. So like you say, in terms of the big 10 scheme, which is what we really care about, uh, we're still you know we got our whole our whole season ahead of us still um right so this is the chance to you know right the ship a little you know get us a little bit of confidence before we go into that wisconsin game uh with some victories uh and you know looking at it uh probably you know that we would probably lose to, like wisconsin and ohio state and stuff like that but you know at least we need to be ready to like compete and i hope that the guys you know uh, don't lose heart, you know, this could be a test for them as well. Because, uh, you know, in that game, having those interceptions early and everything, like, they were looking dejected, the crowd was quiet, oh, yeah. you know, and well, I didn't see... Both,
1: both the players and the crowd didn't realize the game started at 11, apparently.
0: <laughs> well, uh, that,
1: I, I think... That was a factor, too. <laughs> I think it was absolutely a factor. But they, they were, you're right, they were absolutely sleepwalking. There was no energy whatsoever in that group and they, they have to have some freaking pride and right. it's disgusting uh the the well, level of intensity that they came out with and but again i blame that on the coaches because you have to do one of two things as a coaching staff either you need to be the guys that, that inspire that intensity i.e bo Polini tried to do it that way i'm not as big a fan of that or the second alternative which i'm much more a fan of and what tom osborne was successful in doing was He was able to create a a team chemistry and a a sequence of leadership development within his team where the the leaders of the team took care of that. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to worry about the team not being intense and ready to play when you had the Peter brothers on the team or when you had a Danny Noonan or a John Perrella, who's now on our staff. Those guys found a way. They knew how to motivate the team. Coaches didn't have to do it they did it themselves and if they saw their own teammates weren't quite doing it i'll tell you what they were in their face tommy Frazier, most intense competitor if he thought that the offense was having a bad week he was all over it man people mm-hmm. hated him because of it and, and 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 they admit that in interviews and stuff that that there were a lot of people that didn't like tommy and that's because he demanded the utmost effort all the time and if and if one of those guys was having a bad day he they couldn't hide 'Cause Tommy'd come and find him and tell him you ain't you ain't cutting it. Step it up.
0: Yeah. And well, we don't
1: we don't have that kind of internal leadership on our team.
0: Yeah, well I was just thinking two two last points based on what you just said. I wonder if some of that obviously the quarterback isn't always gonna be the main team captain, team leader guy, but typically you would point to that. And I wonder with Tanner, since he's a transfer to lane, a senior, a one year Uh, Quarterback for us, you know, he doesn't, hasn't been with these guys for four years like some of the others have amongst the older guys. Um, I wonder if that's a little bit of a factor in a little disconnect amongst the synergy of the team. And number two, um, I will say that in that second half of the Northern Illinois game, when our defense was making some good tackles, some three and outs, you know, and things like that, I was seeing the guys get up and like pumping or throwing the bones and things like that. And I was watching the game. Uh, it started at nine o'clock my time out here on the Pacific coast uh, at a bar with some Husker fans, a Husker bar. Um, and everyone was clapping and cheering and yelling black shirts and stuff, you know, when we got some of those three and outs. So there was a bit of energy on that side of the ball was the offense where it was just totally dead.
1: Right, right. Well, and, and you're right. See, I I think that there's still a chance of the defense with just a little bit more of an aggressive play calling within the scheme. The three, four is fine personnel wise when you're up against the team that has multiple wide receivers four wide receiver sets five wide receiver sets you cannot sit there with four linebackers on the field you've got to have more dbs out there and the problem is is that we've had some injuries that have depleted our experienced defensive backfield and so we've got we've got some guys that just aren't very experienced and maybe aren't very good that we would need to pull into action and and we need to do it that's my point. That's where the coach has to recognize the reality. That linebacker is not going to be able to keep up with that slot receiver. Period.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. Even if he knows so the scheme got better. To,
1: right. You've got to get the defensive back in there that has the ability to do that and work with that guy, work with that kid under a one-on-one situation. You know, Get your individual position coaches to work the hell out of those kids and get them ready in one week's time. You know it's coming. They've known that they were going to open the season with three of these stupid spread teams. Now, you know, that's just the way that the offenses in the NCAA are evolving. So you knew that going into the season, that these three teams were all going to have that. Why Why didn't you prepare for that? Mm-hmm. Uh, it just blows me away. Yeah. So anyway, I know you've, uh, you've got to go, and we've made this longer than you wanted it to be. No, uh, actually, but uh, is... I am... Uh,
0: this is just about right, actually. I was just about to wrap it up for us. Okay,
1: um, Okay. good, good, good.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if you out there, listeners, enjoy this, you can find us at football... Well, Car- well hold on, hold oh, on.
1: Oh, oh. Hold on. hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to stop you before you wrap up. Uh, you need to make your prediction uh, for right. the Rutgers game. Um,
0: I'll just totally on a limb here. I'll go ahead and say uh 21 17 like the northern illinois game except we win i'll
1: go with that there you go uh, i think it's going to be higher scoring on both sides i think it's going to be another score fest I, I don't know if you noticed it or not but i think the final of the rutgers uh, game this week was 65 nothing rutgers dominated the team now it was a lesser team but anytime you can put 65 points up in four quarters of football means you're executing at a pretty high level that the basics are there. I don't think the basics and confidence are there for Nebraska. So I think this is going to be another nail-biter. I think Rutgers got the kinks worked out, so to speak, last week, and they're going to be way more prolific offensively and way more confident in what they're trying to accomplish and what they need to do. They've seen what success looks like uh, this past week, and they're going to be hungry for the -the blood-in-the-water Nebraska team that's about ready to collapse. So I think we're going to get a, a tremendous effort from Rutgers and unless we have the fortitude and and everything uh to step up and be better way better than we were this week we're in we're in for a long long day. However, I think we are going to respond. I think Riley is going to have some of these conversations I've discussed in this in this thing cuz I think he has no choice. He has to do it. And so I'm going to predict a Nebraska victory, but I think it's going to be more like uh um, the type of score of uh, 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 like 35-28. Okay, 35-28. Okay.
0: Okay. Yep. You may be right on that. Um, so uh, if you listeners out there enjoyed this, you can find us at Football com. You can find us on iTunes under College Football Throwdown. Leave us ratings and reviews, all that sort of stuff. You can email us at huskerpete 13 at gmail.com. Uh, we always like hearing from the fans, things like that. So thank you for joining me, Dad, for this special episode of College Football hey. Throwdown, and looking forward to seeing you in person next week in Lincoln.
1: That sounds great. I am too. Looking forward to it. Uh, we'll have a great uh, tailgate. Got lots of other family coming in. Uh, we're going to have a lot of good times.
0: All right, that's the plan. So until next hey, time. By the, by the way,
1: my 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 quote, buddy. My quote was uh, for a Nebraska victory, thirty-five twenty-eight.
0: Yeah, I got that.
1: Okay, all right.
0: (laughs) So go big red.
1: Go big red, my friend.